tonight on Hops and Box Office Flops. In the year of our Lord, 1836, Texas, which has known many beers, was then under the flavors of a pilsner. Though its inhabitants were made up of settlers from far countries in all parts of the United States, they were Cervezas citizens, all. Generalissimo Santa Ana was sweeping north across Mexico toward them, dousing all who opposed his tyrannical rule in an amber Mexican lager. They now faced the decision that all men in all times must face, the eternal choice of men, to endure these malty showers or to resist. Hops and box office flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back. This is our 164th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops presented by Wabam Entertainment. We are the internet's premier podcast for bad movies and mostly good beer. Tonight we conclude our semi-historical Hops and Period Piece Flops with one of the biggest box office bombs in Hollywood history, 2004's The Alamo. Along with me for this last stand are the man who both cosplays as Davy Crockett and just wears his raccoon skin cap hat for fun, Captain Cash. Yeah, and just to let everybody know, the latest set of me as Spicy Davy Crockett will be dropping on OnlySchoonkinCaps.com. Oh, God damn. Is this the one where you wear the bear thong? Hashtag pending. Mm. Oh, hashtag bear. That was meant to be a surprise, but yes. Oh, hashtag bear thong. Yeah. Well, it's a nice ensemble, regardless. It really, you know, (laughs) leathers and furs goes a long way. What can I say? The fiddle really completes the look. Yes. I'm just saying. One hell of a fiddler and model American. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, We've also got the guy who claimed Pee Wee's bike was in the basement of the Alamo, Chumpzilla. If it doesn't burn going down, how do you know it's bad for you? That's the real question. Not sure what to do with that, but <laughs> we'll just we'll just move on. Mm-hmm. Points order, you can find the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Hops and B.O. Flops. And you can find Wabam Entertainment, who presents us at W-O-B-A-M-E-N-T on Twitter and Instagram. The Alamo, even though it was produced by Disney, is available to rent because... They won't sully their platform with its bloody hands. Or you can be fooled by Pluto TV into thinking that you're watching it for free when in actuality, it's a documentary that came out the same year. I'm sorry, but does this actually mean that Night Owl is part of the MCU? Uh, Maybe. Technically? Yeah. I mean, tangentially. Tangentially. I mean, he's also part of the, the DCEU. He's in Aquaman. He is. And, and, and uh, in this Disney thing. So maybe maybe one of Patrick Wilson's descendants becomes Night Owl. I'm just saying. I would pick uh, one Jim Bowie's descendants because if there's anybody bringing it in this movie, it's Jason Patrick from Speed 2. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Colon cruise control. So let's talk beer. Uh, we are drinking Tombstone Breweries Wild West Wheat. Well, I am. Uh, it's with a weak 5% ABV, which is not Captain Cash's cup of tea or wheat. 
but for those inclined, it is a classic American wheat with clean, delicately fruity yeast and citrusy hops boosted with coriander and an orange peel. If I'm being honest, it just tastes like a blue moon, but it is from Tombstone, Arizona, which I thought was pretty cool. Well, fair enough, but I think not only would Captain Cash disapprove of this beer, but pretty much every other character in this movie would as well, because those guys all enjoyed street hooch and strong drink. Whiskey. Uh, cigarettes and whiskey and wild, wild women. They'll mm -hmm. make you crazy. They'll mm -hmm. make you insane. Even even the nerdy Patrick Wilson character is like, I might not drink, but I chase whores. Oh, and he gambles, yeah. And yeah. also he's a deadbeat, which I'll reference shortly. Which is fantastic. These Look, guys everybody all... gets at least two vices in the Old West. That's how it works. You have to pick yep, two. No, fair, fair. Mm -hmm. And for the record, mutton chops counts as a vice. Ooh, well, so, so by that math, Captain Cash, I think they get three. That is <laughs> that, fair. The mutton chops is a given. It's That's not like, like exactly a vice. You know what's a vice is Dan Doherty from Deadwood's haircut in this movie. <laughs> Oh. It, it is surprising to me the number of Deadwood alums that just kind mm -hmm. of show up here. Now they just because wander wander on over. It, there's <laughs> a lot of like uh, character actor old west types that just show up in the background of this movie. Oh, that guy! Not only hey, does you want an Alamo, you want to like you know it's a <laughs> yeah. day's work. Here's the yeah, thing: you know, I, sure. I assume they don't even they, those guys don't even have to go to costume. They just go to their closet and show up. I'm like, I'm just going to wear my Alamo outfit today. Not only does Dan Doherty have Christopher Walken from Click's haircut, he has a chin strap, which I can't believe was fashionable in 1836. Don't knock the chin strap. I, I've rocked one. I mean, Lincoln is a couple, you know, Lincoln's like 20 years. He's ahead of the game, you know. Yeah. Uh, sorry, well-known fashion icon, Abraham Lincoln. True. Uh, so anyways, I would sit through three bad movies while drinking this beer. It's a seasonal summer beer. Very light. Refreshing. Uh, won't. That's a, that's a full-throated endorsement, if ever I heard yeah, one. Won't mm -hmm. make your day better if you're under siege by a largely superior armed force, but it'll make the make it worse. better. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so fuck that shit. I'm drinking Paps. Don't wait. Check the label. Uh, Lone Star? the only beer appropriate for this pod thank you very much listen we've right. done lone star so i went with a new beer so fuck anyways. that remember the alamo or don't the alamo we should remember it is it is an interesting piece of history uh, at least for the people who fought and died there not so much for the assholes who could have helped them but chose uh to believe that, that. <laughs> uh, yeah gaining <laughs> texas was more important than their lives Anyway, the Alamo was directed by the generally successful John Lee Hancock. Uh, you'd remember him from The Blind Side, The Rookie, Saving Mr. Banks, The Founder, uh, The Highwaymen, which is about the two agents who pursued Bonnie and Clyde, which I actually uh, recommended on this pod way back when, and The Little Things, where Jared Leto just plays himself. He's a serial killer. Oh, that's that, that's every Jared Leto movie. Yeah, uh, I I will say I have recommended The Founder on the pod before as well, and that is actually a good movie. The Founder. All those movies, yeah. I mean, I think The Blind Side is basically a Hallmark movie, but the rest of those Kinda, movies are yeah. pretty good. Uh, I really like The Highwayman. Uh, this stars Dennis the Rookie Quaid. He was in the Rookie as Sam Houston, Billy Bad Santa Bob Thornton as Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. You've got Jason. Cruise Control Patrick as Jim Bowie, 
Patrick Orm Wilson as William Travis, Emilio Echevarria as Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, Jordi Blow Mola as Juan Sugun, and many others, including Leon, oh shit, that guy, Rippy as Sergeant William Ward, and he also is in Deadwood. You'll know exactly who the hell I'm talking about when you watch the movie. Yeah. Yep. Uh, also, let the record show, I, I believe the correct way to pronounce that name is Santana. Yes. Yeah. I, kept, <laughs> I kept waiting at any point for, for that actor to show up and do it. Because it's smooth. If, he, if, if instead of playing uh, the Gueo or whatever that song is called, he just came and started playing, Rob Thomas appears, they just surrender immediately. Like, would have been, it would have been the most it. 2004 thing to happen in this movie. And no one would have questioned a thing. No, they'd be like, no, no, that's that, and that's how Rob Thomas ended the Mexican yeah, <laughs> American totally War. Make, that totally makes sense. The day Rob Thomas betrayed America. <laughs> yeah, fuck the Goo Goo Dolls. Wait, no, th- Third Eye Blind. Matchbox Twenty, buddy. Yeah, Eve Six, Eve Six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, Butthole Surfers. Yep. Three Eleven. As a three eleven song. Oh God, I'd I'd surrender with half of these bands if they came up instead of the, the Mexican <laughs> Army's band. I'd be like, nope, I'm out. I deserve <laughs> you win. You find you me. guys win. All right. I Tripping psychological warfare is strikingly effective. I will literally be at Al Swearingen's bar. You can find me on the other set. That's where I'll be. The Toadies hashtag me. Yeah. So to say this movie tanked would be putting it mildly. It lost Buena Vista a reported $146 million. Cost $95 million to make, grossed just $25.8 million. Critics hated it because it is kind of a boring slug, even though I will mention later that there's some things I like about this movie, even if it is just a piece of propaganda. Well, it's, it's very much like a historical movie. The sets were expensive. It looks expensive, but here's the thing. What was the budget again, T-Dubs? 95 million, so probably so, cost 60 million to market or well, whatever. It, yeah. yeah, exactly. So we'll just for bear with me for a moment. If we look at the current budgets, Thor, Love and Thunder, which is a CGI farce of a fucking movie, that's $250 million. This was made for ninety-five million. You know what's sad now, is uh, not the granted. It's like it's like it's like it's like fifteen years ago or uh, whatever. Yeah, this would probably be one hundred thirty-five million dollars today. If yeah, I was, if I, mean, I was guessing. I mean, it was not a small movie, but like they didn't drop a ton of money on this. Counterpoint: No CGI screaming goats in this. If if they had uh, the CGI screaming goats, this would have made uh, so much more money. First off, they were practical screaming goats, and they were cut. So, uh, uh, so uh, yeah, that that was part of the Ron Howard cut. Thank you very much. So, Mm. oh, this is what I was trying to to mention when I said it was so sad is that these sets recently burned down Mm. a few years ago. There was a there was a fire, and so the sets they built for this movie are now gone. Which is kind does, of a bummer, but does this come? I'm up amazed later? they were still standing. Yeah, they preserve a lot of that stuff. Like, well, if you ever watch Gone with the Wind at the end when the the wall is burning down, that is the gate from King Kong, and they had it stored for almost thirty years, and they were like, right. "All right, well, let's use it in this movie and we'll Bust we'll it burn out, it down." Right. Yeah. So, so, so hold on, bear with me here, T Dubs. Um, this movie had like the largest set ever constructed for a film. 
square footage wise of all time at the time. I mean, they recreated the town. Yeah, has, uh, which has is, anybody reused any of that stuff? I, I don't know. I just know this, this is a huge practical set put up for this film. The one weird thing about this is there's a lot of behind the scenes to this, mm. but it's hard to find and you're never going to get the director's cut. Uh, so we'll get into that because this movie was originally written by Ron Howard and some of his collaborators. Russell Crowe was going to star as Sam Houston. Uh, and that film was going to delve a lot deeper into the politics surrounding why these guys were so driven to take Texas for themselves and then eventually be annexed uh, by the union. Um, <coughs> cough, they want slaves. <laughs> yeah. It, Slavery well, is the yeah. answer. And, and they were all pieces of shit and they were trying to run away from their past. Yeah. Uh, let's, but, let, let's, let's start our own country where we're not felons. Cool. Yeah. So when 9-11 happened, uh, Disney decided, no, no, no. This has to be a much more straightforward hero piece about the glory of america and not so much about some of the nastier murkier politics of manifest destiny forcing people off their land and engaging in a conflict <laughs> unsanctioned uh it's it's all pretty intense and you know texas I like was it. i like how they slide in there that sam houston's sort of doing his own thing yeah, he's essentially, I mean... It's, at, it's never really explicit that Sam Houston's sort of a seditionist, but he's like, I don't want to do anything unless Texas is a free state because I love freedom. And they bury that. Like, he loves freedom. Freedom's good, right? So, no, he wants freedom from the U.S. because he's sort of trying to start his own country. And the, and the silly thing is, uh, and we'll get into it later, so I won't ruin it because there's a trivia question about it, but oh, yeah, he's, he's building a nation state. Uh, of independence and engaging in armed conflict uh and also then you know he's trying to build militias though not under the uh, purview of the united states it's all really weird but really they were south of missouri according to the missouri compromise any new state admitted to the union could be a slave state that was the goal of texas right they were expanding there they wanted slave labor to to pick their cotton and also uh, in this movie they Obviously, there's good people in this in on both sides of every conflict. There's two sides to every story, but they paint the Americans as this crusading great force who are really out for the greater good. When in truth, uh, the Mexicans that did stay in Texas left really because they were treated so terribly. You know what the problem with Mexico is? It's full of Mexicans. Says so the Texans, but that's just the history of Texas, which is horrible. Like, read all about it. Like, yeah. like, like what we draw the lines. Like, these guys just decided like oh i'm sorry this part of mexico is now texas so and you get 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 out you get very little of that except for two of the slave hands who one of them only one of them is like hey these people don't care about us and so if you get a chance surrender they won't shoot you because you aren't they know they know and yet that that, that was a very poignant part of the movie but yet he still serves william travis who's by all accounts like other than Sam Houston might be the worst person in this movie. <laughs> so, uh, they're all giant pieces of shit. You leave Davy Crockett alone. You and don't have you a song what? after you. And if you did, you, you it would just what? mention Taco Bell and farts. That's true. And I will say this, that Davy Crockett is the most sympathetic character. I'm just not saying that I can attest to that being a true disp- depiction of his character yeah and we'll get into it in the plot which we're about to get to because now we're doing our one sure. sentence descriptions and we will start with captain cash how would you describe the alamo in one sentence 
9-11, but in 1836. Harsh, but fair. But that is why this movie... And they have the rallying cry and the whole deal. This this is such a like a hey. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because it's clearly designed to not be that, right? It does go out of its way to show that hey, th- these people here are not saints, right? That it's not like the full on hero thing. But the way it shot, like it it says one thing, but then the cinematic language does the opposite of that, and you're like. Uh, yeah my biggest issue is the way that many of the mexicans are depicted outside of the very young soldiers who you empathize with wholly because they're being sent to die and there is a lot of scenes where santa Ana is essentially this bullish i don't care what do they matter this is what they serve for very trumpian very zero-sum game many of the mexicans are depicted as being like beastly and awful especially the guys who come at night Yes. Uh, with the axes and suddenly they're like they don't look at all like the the young uh soldiers who were scared they look like mad and crazy and they've got huge beards and it's like this is like this is some like 1940s movie making shit happening right here it's a little propaganda yeah 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 like uh, like you know like this like world war one propaganda poster stuff with uh I don't know. It was it was tough. So, how would you describe this, Chumzilla? Um, ah, the Alamo, a tale as old as time. A cadre of racist, drunk white paramilitary men set off to liberate a tract of land already controlled by indigenous people, all in the name of Jesus. Holy, holy shit! Pass me the Tylenol. Scene. My one sentence description would be if you're watching the Alamo for an accurate portrayal of the history of the formation of Texas, don't bother. But if you're watching it to see the horrors of war, it does depict that fairly well. Uh, The siege of the Alamo is really good, I think, for the most part. And the, the, the dire straits they faced are shown and done well. And that's what I think this movie excels at. Character development, getting into the complexities of what happened there and why Texas was, you know, this thing that they were jostling over for many years, even, you know, even after this, none of that is covered well, particularly the aftermath of the Alamo, which we'll get into when we get into the plot, which is right now. So the Alamo opens in the aftermath of the Mexican victory at the church turned impromptu fort. Yes. The Alamo was a mission that basically serviced missionaries for upwards of 70 years before turning into this thing that was a chess piece in the war for Mexico or the war for Texas. Cool question. Did they serve mission style burritos? I mean, they were technically a church. So yeah, I mean, I would assume I I had questions. I was hungry. I believe they made the giant cheese. If that's what you're asking. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so we flash back a year to a disgraced and drunken Sam Houston, which that's him throughout most of the movie, attempting to promise land he most certainly doesn't own to folks if they volunteer to protect the territory. Yes, he is offering up upwards of 256 acres, I believe, right? Or maybe more to anyone serving in the Texas militia. This is land this motherfucker does not own. And he is offering it if you go kill the people that live there and take it for him. As is tradition. So... <laughs> How 
on earth from that point on are we supposed to sympathize at all with sam houston well i don't i when i watch this right? movie, I, mean, I don't if, sympathize if, with if him you're paying attention you're like well that guy is a giant cock wow moving I, on i don't think there's any real sympathetic characters aside from davy crockett and the men who we don't really come they to learn try a whole lot to about. make us love davy crockett they do Really uh, and Jim Bowie, I liked because he sort of gets something. We'll get into that. Anyways, he's also a giant piece of shit, though. In real life, yes. not in the movie, but in reality, yes. Yeah. But moving on. Well, he's kind of a piece of shit in the movie. But anyways, so well, from here we get introduced to the other principal players, like Jim Bowie, Houston's right hand man, who's a lunger and slowly dying. Yes, he's got like tuberculosis or pneumonia, depending on what you read. He was essentially dying. Yeah. Uh, and he's a sufferer of a great personal tragedy. He's one of the only people we get a backstory on, really, that mm. makes you feel sorry for him. Because he had this woman that he loved, and apparently she died in some siege in a similar worthless conflict over a parcel of land. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got William Travis, who's an uptight asshole and a bad father, and the legend himself, Davy Crockett, who arrives in Texas to great fanfare and whose presence exemplifies the absurdity of hero worship and myth-making. Which the movie addresses head-on and is pretty good. Again, which yeah. is why I really like that character. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's very truthful. He's, um, he has no ego. Like He's there just to, to fight with these guys. He, he's the moral compass of the film. Definitely. Yeah. Which, when Billy Bob Thornton is your moral compass, have you either done something very wrong or very right? He was. I can't really say. He had strong opinions on taters, so do with that what you will. You know who else had strong opinions on taters? Samwise Gamgee, perhaps the greatest hero of all fiction. So, I will say, uh, company. There are definitely two towers vibes you get from moments of this movie as they surround the fort. Except there's nobody that you like in this fort. (laughs) So. So everything is building and quite heavily foreshadowing a Mexican march on the fort. And once they do, it is immediately clear that there is, they are in no mood for a truce as they fly a flag emblazoned with death to traitors. Now, again, see, so here you go. When they were welcomed into what was Texas, they were technically under the citizenship of Mexican rule. And then they decided no, no, we want this land and we are going to betray you. So he's they're, a twice over seditionist. They are pirates. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I like that. And in Santa Ana makes that very clear because his men even say like, you know, we shouldn't kill these, these people. You know, they're, they're, that, that's unfair. He's like, these are not soldiers. They are pirates. Put them down with the dogs that they are. Santa Ana, and I don't know enough about him, but he is pretty diabolical in this movie and almost cartoonishly well, so. Well, yeah, but you know, obviously, he was trying to secure, uh, you know, you know, the, some territory for his people. It was, I don't like. I don't was, mind the. It was the, a legit sh- conflict. This this was a thing yeah. that happened. Like, I don't mind the shooting of prisoners. I don't mind the ruthlessness and the way he he goes about things. Like. Because this is like it's war, and if you don't war, know that, war is heck. War is heck. The yeah. grunts generally get the worst of, of things, and and they are yeah. chess. They are the pawns in in this greater, whatever. But like they have him decide, like he kidnaps this young woman, and he, she becomes like his sex slave. It's like you know, you cut like an hour out of this. I'm cool. 
I, I know he's bad. I'm cool. Yeah, I mean, at the, perhaps that was a bit overkill. Yeah, fair. Like, uh, fair. okay, so you you cut an hour of like like legitimate shit people might want to know about what happened here, and you leave this in. Like, come on. We got to make sure that you understand the bad guy is really bad. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. shortly thereafter, as the Mexican band plays Duguelo or Slit Throat, they begin to fire on the fort. What follows is a rather effective look at how desperate the situation of the men within the Alamo was uh, because they were surrounded by a force perhaps as large as 6,000 and they numbered less than 200. So this is a, I mean, in history, what these guys did and the way they held out, it's a pretty inspirational thing. It's the stuff that surrounds it that gets a little ugly, which is what we're going to get into. So anyway, Davy displays there's some truth to myths nearly blowing Santa Ana's head off from 180 meters out. And Travis proves his worth by not being a total dick, which was like, hey, now you're going to like this guy. No, never liked him. No, no, he's still a dick. Yeah, he's Mm -hmm. still a dick. Um, In these fleeting moments of glory, they take the Mexicans by surprise and show them they won't back down. They then dispatch Juan Sagoon to find Sam Houston, who's been busy pontificating about how they need to establish a formal government and declare independence before they can lend aid. And first off, this is like, you already know Sam Houston sucks, but you're like, seriously, you drunk old codger, send the aid. Right? Like, what? Come on, man. (laughs) But multiple times he mentions, it doesn't matter what happens to them. This is about Texas. Like he might, like makes reference twice. Like you may want this, but I care about Texas. And at that point, I'd be like, "Fuck you! I'm going home." <laughs> like, like I'm either gonna go help or I'm going home. But I'm certainly not hanging out with you, you miserable schmuck. Right. Yeah. Uh, so again, anyway, Bowie succumbs to his sickness and is bedridden for the rest of the movie. And the movie is less off for it because, yes, Jim Bowie, the real Jim Bowie, was kind of an asshole, but. He's mm-hmm. one of the only charismatic people in this movie. So, and you know it's coming, which kind of sucks. But in the final battle, they keep like foreshadowing, like he's going to come out and have this really heroic moment. And they flash back to it way too many times for it to just be in him get shot by like 13 people as he lays in bed. That is true, though. He lied in bed. They stabbed him with the bayonets, with the bayonets, and he. disemboweled a guy before he died like literally cut him end to end disemboweled him as he's being stabbed to death which is pretty i mean that's a badass move that's pretty metal yeah pretty metal that's like only something somebody that rode on a boat that was out of control into a jamaican port could do with sandra bullock and then drops the anchor on a convertible that's hard yeah of a guy who had nothing to do with the movie but like he, was that's, kind of, he was kind of a dick, though. So he got what was coming. That's how hard Jason Patrick and Jim Bowie brought it. Boom. Uh, so Houston preps to march with his troops, but again, you know, takes his sweet ass time. And the Mexicans begin their official siege. Unfortunately, when Sagoon makes it to Houston, they're still low on troops. Houston refuses to sacrifice the prospect of Texas for the fate of, of the few in the Alamo. So as they get noticed that they are all essentially condemned to die. This is where I think the movie shines the most because if you focus it on the people within the Alamo, then it's totally fine to paint this as a heroic thing because it, and it, it was, it's all the stuff around it that they sort of eschew that 
is the problem with the movie. Um, so they all die, by the way. And Davy Crockett tells uh, Santa Anna, I thought you'd be taller, which is like a real tough way to go out as you're sur- surrounded by the enemy. And of course, I, I, I don't I, think I do that en- happened. But. I, I, doubt, I doubt that it did, but I do enjoy that the translator stumbles a bit. He's like, I'm, I'm not sure I want to relay this message. Because because uh, he's gonna be mad because Boop, he is Boop. short, also a pederast and and a very angry person. Uh, mm. So after they lose, what follows is a very truncated look at the aftermath, including Santa Ana's defeat at San Jacinto. That battle is maybe as definitive as any battle in history. They defeated the Mexicans in 18 minutes and captured Santa Ana. Uh, the film yep. spends less time than that on the not only the lead up to it but showing it and then showing what happened afterward so i i do believe like there's a lot of stuff cut from the alamo portion of the movie including there's a woman and her daughter who survived the conflict who are in the movie and had a character arc and they're cut from the movie entirely that you only be, see them crying during the siege right that would be the only documented survivor anglo survivor of and they had a whole arc and it's totally cut yep so as I said, that's because the film was originally three hours. It was a cut by a full hour. And then just prior to release, they got really um, antsy about all that and added 15 minutes back in. So when you see Sam Houston after the bottle, after the battle of San Jacinto with a bullet in his leg and he's sitting on the ground, and his legs bandaged, that's a real thing that happened. And he continued to march forward on a new horse after his first horse was shot out from under him. And you don't see it on screen but then they show him with a bandage on his leg and you're like, well, what happened? And this is when he says, they're like, we have to kill Santa Ana. And he's like, you all want blood, but I want Texas. It's like, you are a fucking asshole. Drunk ass Sam Houston fell off his horse and broke his leg. That seems most likely. Facts. Yeah. This drunk ass fell off his horse. They, they, they drug his ass back to the end. So the Alamo, how many beers are required We'll start with Captain Cash. It's it's a hundred and thirty-seven long minutes. None of it's badly acted, I don't think. Long is an understatement because this yeah. oh boy does this feel long. They're like this movie feels like it's three hours, but it's two hours and seventeen minutes. The first half of this movie drags so hard. up front hard four pain beers. Mm-hmm. And I, I maybe and then like one more for the back ninety minutes where it's not so terrible. Uh, ninety minutes is a lot. Back yeah, forty five minutes where it's not so terrible. I would say I'd say I, I'm with you. I'd go four beers, three pain, one enjoyment. I love history. Always loved history. I think there's things that are about how this movie is is uh, the sets. Uh, the depictions of of the warfare that are really strong and i can enjoy those moments and i really enjoy davy crockett in this movie i think billy bob is it's one of the best performances in one of the worst movies i've seen in a long time and i did see this when it came out and i remember liking him he's just very charismatic throughout the whole thing so four beers three pain one enjoyment chumpsella wow um i'm gonna agree with you on the billy bob thornton front he is a good Davy Crockett. Um, although 
I'm not going to say I bought him as Davy Crockett. I liked his performance, but it's like, mm, I think he would have been better served in like Patrick Wilson's role and somebody slightly more flamboyant be in the Davy Crockett role. Cause I think that was kind of the joke because the movie's very meta about Davy Crockett, which well, I think is funny. I like that. That's a good angle. I like the way they worked it. Do I think Billy Bob's the right guy for that role? not really sure but you know i'm gonna give this i'm gonna give this five beers i'm gonna give it four pain one enjoyment and honestly anytime dumbass patrick wilson shows up on screen chug your beer he's he's yeah, pretty bad in this movie but he's, he's it's not he's, him that's bad it's the character it's the character yeah. yeah he's not bad he's great night owl's fine but yeah, they give him so little to do, and you can tell the guy's a decent actor. But the, that role's but he, it's a thankless role because the character's not like. Whenever he, you have characters, he's who meant are to be unlikable. Exactly, get go. It's very yeah. hard to them redeem them, yeah. and they never try with Sam Houston. They don't because he's irredeemable. But it, yes, but, but actually, between the two of those, both those guys are just kind of like soulless bureaucrats. Effectively, they're just beholden to their own motivations. They never change. They're just dickheads. Through and through. Anyway, so uh, moving on. From what I understand, before we take a break, Ethan Hawke was going to play William Travis, and this is when Russell Crowe was going to play Sam Houston. And I won't say that Ethan Hawke is obviously an incredible actor. Russell Wilson certainly would have been a better Sam Houston. Uh, You know what? I think the only reason we didn't get Russell Crowe is because he refused to put weight on for the role, which is odd because he later or not that much later, or even maybe before this, put on weight for the insider. And yeah, it, but I mean, he was still like fit Russell Crowe from the gra- the gladiator four years yeah. ago. So, but yeah, like uh, Dennis Quaid didn't appear to have put on that much weight. So he, he did look quite trim. And yeah. better than I Randy. I mean, better than Randy is like drier than the ocean. It's not, it's not hard. It's a relative term. Okay, well, all right, we're going to take our first break. We're going to hear from our brothers in beer and siege fortifications at Hop Nation USA. And when we come back, we've got some lingering questions about the Alamo. And listeners, you have to remember the Alamo and that Sam Houston's a dick. Hey, everyone, this is Steve. And this is Adam. And we're part of the Hop Nation USA podcast, Pittsburgh's number three craft beer podcast. Join us every Friday for new beer reviews. We'll talk about the news, history, and homebrewing. Plus, we'll sit down with the best brewers and industry personalities that'll have us. So whether you're a casual drinker, a hazy boy hophead, or even if you're a whale hunting cellar hoarder, just search Hop Nation USA on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher and join the nation. Hello and welcome back to the 164th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops presented by Wabam Entertainment. And we are talking 2004's critically maligned and box office bludgeoned, The Alamo. We've got some lingering questions about the movie. Let's make these quick fire. And we'll start with number one, most iconic moment of the film or your personal favorite scene. We'll go to Captain Cash. As much as I make fun of the sort of myth-making, not really addressing it, but addressing it, like hanging a lampshade on it, but then doing that thing anyway, uh, I did appreciate the end of Billy Bob Thornton's Davy Crockett, where he offers to escort Santana 
it's incredible to, yeah. to Houston to so he can surrender. surrender. Yeah. yeah, there's something uh, about because you're so smooth. <laughs> he's he's just so smooth that yeah. Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, that's a, it is a great moment, and he's just so damn like well, Chumzilla. Iconic scene or favorite moment. I'm going to give it to uh, uh, Billy Bob's uh, Bowie as well, or Crockett. Sorry, whatever. Yeah, yeah he was he was uh, Crockett. Um, I liked his tale of the uh, Indian siege. He tells the men the night before, because I think it's a nice bookend. Because at this point, uh, Bowie is bedridden, and he'd already called Crockett out. He's like, "Hey, those aren't bears out there." Because there was kind of this like joke that like Davy Crockett was kind of a sham. You know, he was a a pretty boy. He was a celebrity and all this. And and uh, they're like, hey, this is this is real war. This is real a real battle. And I think you know the the thought there is there's amongst the men there might be that like hey you know Crockett's kind of a he's kind of a pretty boy. But then he tells that story about the siege on the cabin with the natives and the potatoes. And we get the second most iconic potato-related uh, speech from Billy Bob Thornton in any film, and uh, I, I like that. Like that, that made it feel real. Like, and apparently that dialogue came straight from David Crockett's autobiography. It's a story that he tells as these guys are like really sort of ramped up for yeah. something they don't. Under quite yet understand right, yeah. it's that war sucks. War, war, war is hell. War is hell. Be prepared. It's, it's going to change you. You might not like potatoes afterwards. And, and uh, so I have two. My first one is when he shoots the, uh, I don't, Captain Cash, my, the frill off of Santana's coat. Santana's. Yeah, <laughs> wind kicked no, up. No, I did. And he says the wind kicked up. Uh, and my second is essentially him asking Jim Bowie about the one of the myths about him because you know everybody's always telling these stories about him he's like i heard you got stabbed twice and shot down at this bar and and Bowie's like ah blah it's all bullshit and he goes it was three times and this is the scene he's and that's when he says there's not bears out there those are my two they're very human moments right like that scene and what you were describing are very human moments and we just needed more of those i guess and i will say this that moment between uh uh uh, Bowie and Crockett, it's not framed well. Like that should have been a bigger deal. Well, and like, those, those were those were two like icons of the era. Having like a private, they were talking shop there. That should have carried more weight. The problem with this movie, it doesn't emphasize that enough. It just kind of like slips under the radar. You're like, wait a minute, what what just happened there? That should have been well, a bigger deal. This goes to the second question. I mean, the movie's painfully slow. What could have improved it? In my mind, it is more human moments. It is getting to know most of these characters better. Yeah. Because whenever you're framing a story of tragedy where people you know are all going to die, this is essentially Titanic, right? You don't go it's, into Titanic not, thinking, oh, I bet you the boat makes it. Like, they're going to die. So This is Rogue One. Yeah, so how do you create stories or... How do you give these people their due? And the movie doesn't do a great job of that. So aside from Crockett, who is the best, which is, I mean, there's a question later about who sure. wins the movie. And I think we'll all agree he wins the movie. So I guess I don't need Davey, to ask you. Like, Davy yeah. Crockett, winner <laughs> of this movie. Yeah, who, who gets the 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 
the epilogue, Crockett. Um, no, I, I think there is there is a problem with this movie. It wants you to care about these gringos, and it does not do a very good job of presenting them as like whole and a sympathetic characters. They're almost caricatures. They're you know, all kind. They're all kind of dicks. You know, what have, would be nice. They have flaws, which is fine. It's okay. That these guys have flaws, but like the movie emphasizes the flaws. They're never sympathetic. Crockett sort of. But only in the fact that he's like less shitty than the rest of them. Most he's of them not don't even really have names. wholesome. So oh, you know, yeah. what'd be, you know, it'd be effective if your epilogue was more than just that. San Jacinto was one in eighteen minutes, and then a little bit about how Texas became a state. It's two sentences. Maybe yep. list every friggin' name of the people who died there. Well, well, also, also, uh, Sam Houston is off screen. Like every time you're watching this movie, you should be asking, "Where is Sam Houston? What is he doing?" Fucking oh. off. He's you, fucking don't, off. you don't really need to know. He's letting people die. That's yeah, yeah, that's the whole point. Like Sam Houston didn't do shit. And the, the whole movie's like, hey, maybe they should send us some more people before we get murdered. Yeah. Whatever. Oh hey, no, he does what? shit. He he belly aches about people not wanting to listen to him because he's a chicken shit. And a drunk asshole. So Captain Cash, in your mind, anything. So I think the big challenge with this movie for me ultimately is like a lot of the movies that we get frustrated with, it doesn't seem to have a very clear vision, right? Like the cinema language is at odds with what the movie is telling you. It wants you to be interested in. So either they commit and they do a stronger historical version where no, these people were assholes, but they did die heroically. Right. Or, Sorry. They go the other way and they go the John Wayne version where it is just 100% propaganda, but at least commit to one of those. And this movie won't. And I think it's worse for that. But well, here's the thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. We've already seen Glory at this point. Yeah, Glory was in the 90s, oh. not 96. That so, was the 80s even. So, I mean, we've seen Gettysburg. We've seen Glory. We've seen... Glory blows this movie out of the water. In terms of like a complicated war narrative. Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, like you can make a war movie and you can make it so that the the bad guys or the Mexicans in this case are not just cartoons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I think a letters from Iwo Jima. Right. That's from the Japanese perspective. And it makes you empathize with the Japanese, even though we're all American and Traditionally, you look at the war in the Pacific as being particularly brutal, this, that, or the other. And that movie is incredibly powerful. It's incredibly powerful. One of the great war movies. And it's told not from our perspective. Now, if you make this movie in such a way that you are showing both sides to this in a much more even way, that's what history is, right? Very rarely is there just like, this is the bad guy. This is the good guy. There's times that that's certainly the case, but that is not like war is shitty all the way around most of the time. And we've been the bad guy in war, right? Like, and, and certain movies have depicted that very well. Like it became like, once the, the cap was off of what Vietnam really was, those were Vietnam movies. They were making Vietnam movies where it was like, mm, we shouldn't have been there. And I, I just think this movie would have been way stronger. If you just, if you want to tell history, tell history. Well, I, I think the problem here is the writer and director was a Texas guy. 
And I, I think that was probably what uh, clouded his vision. He was like, No, I, I think it, he was I, told I, this is the I, way you're going to do it. I, no, yeah. but he, he wanted to tell a Texas story. But the movie's this three movie hours. Reeks the movie of was, studio fucking yeah. fuckery. Oh, no, 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 no. Disney got involved because it was effectively a Disney production. But don't get me wrong. This, this, this was a Houston guy. This was a Texan. He wanted to, to tell the story of the birth of Texas. Because whether you like it or not, the way this movie ends is with Texas being the 28th state of the United States. So it, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little weird. Like, And yes, is, it, is there some seditionist bullshit involved? Yes. Is this like the second coming of the Civil War? Kind of. But at the end of the day, that's that's the that's the fucking uh, legacy of Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. Uh, I mean, don't you, don't, we, don't mess with Texas. You know what the problem with Texas is? All the Mexicans that were actually natives until they just drew imaginary lines and kicked them out. Which is, you know, that's a border crisis. I mean, there's a lot to be or said. So about, I'm told. Uh, um... Whatever. Just uh, a certain party's platform being, let's erase all the negative history about our country because that's stupid. Because if you don't know the negative history about your country, what do you actually learn from it? You learn nothing. Uh, you embrace the negative history and you build and you move on from that. Not, never happened. Not us. No, embrace it. Uh, Chumpzilla's had some cocktails. I'm going to say this all words are made up and all borders are made up. Fight me. Come at me, Twitter. Okay, true. Now, the Alamo uh, was like an inflection point uh, in the history of the U.S. As mm-hmm. I said, I love history. So what era of history do you find most fascinating? We'll start with Chumpsilla. Oh, era of history I find most fascinating. That's, that's a very delicate question, uh, T-dubs. Um, you know what? I, I hate to look backwards, but... Um, if I had to, I'd say it's probably the 1984-1985 period in which Marvel Comics had partnered with Mattel to uh, create the Secret Wars crossover <laughs> comic slash toy event. That's probably the moment in history I would most like to relive. That's where it peaked for you, huh? Thank That's you. Where it That's, peaked. Thank you for that. that tracks. And, and, if I could live there and then be able to purchase the Europe only releases, Electro, uh, Iceman, and uh, uh, Constrictor, I would be thrilled. Okay. So that's that's uh, where I would like to live in the past. Gentlemen, I open the floor to you. Uh, thank you very little for that. Uh, we'll go with Captain Cash. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> the, the Viking invasion of Britain in the late 900s. Okay. See. See. Uh, thank you. Um, I'm a big American history. That buff. seems exciting uh, too. What kind of action figures were available at that time? I bet you they have. I bet you they limited on your action figures. I'm just saying. Years ago. I'm just saying. Don't judge me. I bet you they have more than five points of articulation. So I, here's what I'll tell you: It was long mm-hmm. enough ago that action figures were just called dolls because that's what they are. Yeah, and boys didn't play with them, or they were burned at the stake. Oh, my father would like to have a conversation with you. Um, you would agree so, thoroughly. That's so painful. Just American history wise, 1776, um, the beginning of, of what is now the United States. Oh, um, so it's you and Alex Jones. No. 
You guys are going to 70, 17, uh, No, I'm talking about like the actual story. David McCullough wrote a great book about it. You can read it. Please, we don't mention Alex Jones on this podcast. He's a fucking piece of shit. Pierce and, Morgan. No. What are, what are we no. doing here? Yeah. So, uh, Chris Limbaugh. Stop. No. Uh, Bill please. I, I, I'm over these people. Like, I, I can't even joke about it anymore. Like, it's so upsetting. I can't. Uh, John John F. Kennedy was one of my favorite presidents of the '60s. Um, with the his, civil son, rights his, his son's coming back. God damn it! Oh god, Ugh. the guy they think is him looks nothing oh. like him. For I'm fuck's sure, sake! I'm pretty sure uh, it's John Krasinski, right? So it's love really- him. Uh, I love Teddy Roosevelt. A lot of great stories about the Rough Riders, the Spanish American War. Oh. I would say no. uh, that's not the Rough Riders' role. No. God damn um, it. You are the worst. Uh, the French Revolution, crazy shit in the French Revolution. Yeah, so there's so many cool, cool historical things. And obviously World War II, which is this war that has like a real definitive narrative of who's good and who's bad. And then into the Cold War and all that stuff. And of course, Kennedy is part of that. So that's such an interesting era of history. Like you almost make a, a, a deal with the devil. It's a devil's bargain with Russia. And then we spend the next 40 years in uh, locked in this like what's going to happen and and you know what's born out of that incredible fiction such as comic book characters like spider-man the incredible hulk and all that stuff because the nuclear age inspired that stuff so the rebirth of captain america became yeah. a nuclear age hero. so if you want to read a really great book about that one of my uh professors at college life under a cloud great book about what it was like to live in the atomic age where why is it life under a cloud because you never knew if a bomb was going to go off right all that stuff's very interesting to me amongst many other things i try to read uh at least one non-fiction book while i'm reading a fiction book and oftentimes that's just a random piece of history like rasputin read about that dude shit's crazy very interesting rasputin files that's the book but yeah hey so, uh- uh, I'll add to that, T-Dubs. There was a great Behind the Bastards episode. I think there's like two episodes on Rasputin. Very interesting character in history. Which is why he's used in all of like... Uh, that, I mean, that, he's, he's in Hellboy. That, he's in the New Kingsman. Like, exactly. He's such a weird he's character. Such a weirdo, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Fun question. Mm. Worst break for pa- Jason Patrick's career. This or Speed 2? It's, no. it's got to be speed, too. Come on. Like, he uh, was actually good in this. He, he's not bad in this, but here's the problem. This movie does nothing for his career. I can only assume that being in Speed 2 was a springboard for other shitty stuff. I haven't heard particularly good things about how he is to work with either. So well, maybe that's also a problem, but. I tried desperately today to try to find Solar Babies streaming somewhere because that's his feature film debut. And I'm aware of that movie because it's on the podcast, How Did This Get Made? And I'm like, I I know this movie. I've heard it's terrible. It's like a rollerblading, post-apocalyptic, like environmental whatever movie. I I couldn't find it, but that's apparently his first, you know, uh, big screen appearance. And I'm thinking, like, so where did this guy's career go? He went Solar Babies and then basically Garbage. And then he was like, boom, Speed 2. Then the Alamo. And that was pretty much it. So I'm, I'm not sure what 
killed his career? Was it the Alamo? Was it Speed 2? I've just heard he was difficult and he was sort of entitled because you know his dad, Jason Miller, was like a... A a writer. Yeah, he was a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright and Academy Award nominated actor. So he had this like sort of... His granddad was Jackie Gleason. Yeah, grandiose belief about himself. So, So he was a Hollywood character or whatever but yeah he, he had like two big roles and then fucking dropped off narc is a good movie uh oh yeah, well i i know i've not seen that is he a star in narc I saw he has a handlebar mustache too tough oh that's yeah. that's fucking, that's way tough yeah uh captain cash worst break i think it's this it's gotta I be because it's this really oh really oh i thought you were gonna say speed two. i mean they're both no huge like flops. i mean so huge speed flops. too but but, but but like like the drop off between keanu and him and speed two is fucking seismic right i listen i agree and that's kind of his main like that was his introduction into the mainstream right but everybody gets a one-off where I feel like everybody knew, look, they didn't get Keanu, but they got this guy. So he's no one very, is going to be looking at him. He's going. He's, hold on. He's very, um, how do you say, uh, soap opera attractive. Like he's got he's that. He's just mag- conventionally handsome. Well, he's got the square jaw. I mean, you know what he's most famous for? Uh, being Kiefer Sutherland's best man when he was going to marry julia roberts and then running away with her a day before the wedding he was also in the lost boys <laughs> yeah that too but he literally did with he ran away with the bride when he was the best man all i'm trying to say i feel like no one went into speed two looking for jason patrick to do better than keanu that's uh, fair that's fair. right mm-hmm. i don't know Here, somebody did they're called the producers whoever they were <laughs> I know. I listen. Even the producers are like, we couldn't get Keanu, so we got this guy. Ah, we got to do what we got to do. We still think we can make some money here. That's clearly a plan B. They're like, holy shit, we cannot get Keanu. We got to get somebody. So else. hilarious. Like, get get a dark haired, conventionally attractive dude, and we'll call it a day. He's literally right? the same character. Yeah, no, 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 I know. Yeah, oh, yeah, but but he's not. He's like, but I'm not. Like, where'd Keanu go? Aren't not you here? I, t- I thought you weren't going to date cops anymore who live on the edge and don't listen to the rules. Oh, yeah. Whenever, whenever Keanu's not on screen, the other character should be asking, where's, <laughs> where's Keanu? Keanu? I'm just saying, Sandra Bullock should have called him Point Break. That would have been... That would have been funny. Kiss. Uh, but I guess my point is, because of that, no one went into speed two thinking, oh, this is going to be good here. He's part of a cast of characters or cast of actors, most of whom go on to do a lot more stuff. Like you had a couple legitimate legends in this like between Tamara Morrison and fake James McAvee. McAvoy. What? Uh, we're That's move the on. other movie. Yes. Speed you had two, speed to cruise control. Oh, weird. I, I that's right. I forgot. Now, I, now I kind of wonder like, is he just like, uh, is he cursed that anybody who he's in a movie with will ultimately do better than him? He's literally the black cat from the Matrix. Like, when you see him, you're like, oh, there's a glitch. This shit will be undone. I mean, he was a glitch. He didn't want to be a vampire with Kiefer Sutherland, who he later betrayed, just like he betrayed America as a seditionist who wanted to form Texas with his drunk friend. Right? <laughs> uh, By the way, 
this seems like it was worse for his career than Speed Two. Okay, that got deep. That got deep, and I think this. Well, I I think you're kind of right because they. I think the hope was that this was going to be like an Oscar bait movie, and it tanked. Okay, let's be honest. Is it not? Is it not shot that way? Is it not shot? No, it's totally shot that way. Right, it's exactly what war movies are made for. Is Oscar for the most part weird character moments where they stare longingly into the middle distance and make weird ass speeches while but people that's them. that's the big joke about dunkirk is that well christopher nolan couldn't win an oscar any other way so he made a war movie and then he didn't win an oscar so a world war ii war movie yeah. well, that, which is like that's probably the most oscar baity of yeah, the that's, wars that's probably because that one dude didn't sell it in the trailer we're like oh hey see that guy he looked he looked too early Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our Woban Entertainment brothers over at the Double Turn podcast who are busy having a bayonet match. And when we come back, we've got the Remember the Alamo trivia challenge. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Boss Ross. And I'm the J-Man, and we're the Double Turn Podcast. Every Friday, we bring you the best in pro wrestling talk. Whether it's previews and reviews on pay-per-view events, discussing the hottest topics in pro wrestling, or bringing you a look back to some of the best matches and moments in history. We have it all for you. So check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the Anchor app. And you can also give us a follow on Instagram at the Double Turn Podcast. And we will catch you on the flip side. Hello and welcome back to the 164th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops. And we are on to the Remember the Alamo Trivia Challenge. Gentlemen, we have a standard five-question multiple choice format quiz. To chime in, either stick with one of our stalwarts or say, Remember the Alamo? Or say, I thought he'd be taller. Or can you catch a cannonball? Which is what Jim Bowie quips to Davy Crockett about some of the idiocy surrounding like the mythos of Davy Crockett. Fair. Tell me, what was harder, jump in the Mississippi or? All right, no, are we ready? As ready as I'll ever be. Okay, these are all historic. Wait, let me get questions. my coonskin cap, and now I am ready. Firmly all right, quiet directly to the forehead. Number one, the siege of the Alamo lasted only days. How many days exactly did it last? Is it A thirteen? Is it B fourteen? Is it C, 15, or is it D, 16? I remember the Alamo, but forget this answer. 13 days. That is correct. Woo, it lasted that. from February 23rd, 1836 to March 6th, 1836. Wow. Number two, we are at one nothing Captain Cash. Number two, in Fess Parker's The Ballad of Davy Crockett, the famous frontiersman did all of the following except... A, patched up the crack in the Liberty Bell. B, killed him a bear when he was only three. C, fixing up the government and laws. Or D, tamed himself a mountain lion with a scratch of its tuft. I believe farts and tarts, that would be D. D is correct, yes. I mean, the song is so stupid. Even the stupidest line I could make up. (laughs) wasn't sounded, stupid enough. It sounded very realistic, but I knew that was not one of them. Yeah. Sorry. I wanted yeah, to. So I tried the to problem was everybody knows he killed him a bar when he was three and bell and government as well. All rhyme. Mm. Tuft. Not, tough. not much rhyme. Yes, tough. Yes. I tried to find all the things they say in the movie, but uh, <laughs> people don't care to quote this movie that much. So 
And God knows I wasn't watching it twice. Yeah, I was not going back through it. No, no sir. Uh, number three, we're tied at one to one. Speaking of Davy Crockett, oh, and boy. I think both of you know this, this actor played him in the 1960 movie. Was it A, Richard Boone? Was it B, John Wayne? Was it C, Richard Whitmark? Or was it D, Lawrence Harvey? I'm I remember sure. the Alamo. I'm giving it to Captain Cash. Fuck. It was John Wayne. It was John Wayne. Now, all those actors were also in the movie. They just played different characters. Uh, John Wayne, if you didn't think Billy Bob fit uh, Davy Crockett, John Wayne certainly didn't. And John Wayne, legendary piece of shit. So, <laughs> also, also great behind the bastards episode. And also, um, uh, we, we can give him, uh, he, he played Kangas Khan. Yeah, he did. On uh, awesome. The less said about that, the better. Totally cool. Uh, Moving on. We're at two to one, Captain Cash. Number four, the Alamo, originally built as a mission in the 18th century mm. and named for St. Anthony of Padua. Mm -hmm. What year was it estimated to have been finished? A, 1718. B, 1728. C, 1738. Or D, 1748. Um, I'm going to go with farts and tarts and go with the last answer, D, because I, I don't think it was ever finished. That's incorrect. I, I thought Wait. the walls were left incomplete. Well, it opened. What year did it open? Oh, well, well you know what? Captain Cash, I've left the door open for you. And you say, he, he went with C or D, so I've got I, options here is what I'm hearing. I, I, I misunderstood the question, so good luck. Uh, B? Uh, incorrect. It was 1718. Damn it. Oh. And it, had, it housed missionaries and their Native American converts for over 70 years. So I guess the missionaries there, also not so great. Because you know what? Don't force your religion on other people. Mm, yeah, that's not cool. Tracks. Mm -hmm. We are still two to one with our last question being number five. By the way, the winner of this gets Jim Bowie's knife. Oh. His original knife or a copy of his knife? You know, is that you get the set, you get the prop from the <laughs> oh good is enough. That, good enough. That, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I just wanted to be clear. But is that not effectively like a sword? It's a sword. That, that knife is incredible in this movie. It's like it's it's like a hit knife. Sword. I didn't say that as one of my favorite scenes, but when he's like ready to kill William Travis, that is one of my favorite scenes. Don't disrespect Night Owl like that. All right, number five. Texas was annexed by the U.S. in 1845 as the 28th state. Mm -hmm. What date did it officially become part of the Union? Was it A, July 4th, 1845? Was it B, May 29th, 1845? Was it C, December 29th, 1845? Or was it D, November 1st, 1845? I'm going to give this to Captain Cash. I'm going to shoot and say D. Incorrect. Captain Cash, I've left the door open for you. Well, you've, you've eliminated one of my choices, which mm -hmm. increased my, my opportunity from 25% to be correct to 30. I'm just here to help, man. 30, 33. 33 so thank you. Precise, but yes. Um, B? It was December 29th, 1845. Uh, they actually wanted to become a state shortly after Santa Ana surrendering Texas, but because of the issue of slavery, 
it took over 10 years for them to officially be annexed by or not over 10 years, but nearly 10 years for them yeah. to be officially annexed by the United States. So as so you said, that, complicated history. Was that A or B or C? Or that what? was C. December 29th was C. So, uh, so Captain Cash, you failed the mission successfully. Yep, which means Chumzilla gets Jim Bowie's knife, which is uh, which wait, is not what? great for anyone. Oh, amazing! Wait, no, I get no, I get I get the stabby Sharpie. You thing. can cut your Taco Bell chalupas or quesadillas oh my, with it. Oh my gosh, I will cut all of my uh, the uh, oh what is it the cheese it uh, Crunchwrap Supremes. I will cut those. Well, there you go. So it's got a practical you. use. Yes. Um, that's amazing. Wow. Captain Cash, I'm so sorry. I, I will offer you my cutting skills. If you present me with your, your Taco Bell, I will slice and dice. Okay. Yeah. To, to, to your specifications, sir. It's very I generous. Appreciate the offer. Yeah. Yes. We are on to recommendations. Um, we're going to let Captain Cash kick us off. What do you have for this week? So this week, not a lot going on. I don't have a, a lot of good recommendations. I, I scooped up some new comics this week. Um, new Daredevil came out, so that's been interesting. But otherwise, I haven't, like, not since last week when I recommended the Sea Beast, have I really been like, hey, this is great. Everybody ought to check this out. So kind of a slow week for me, truthfully. Okay. Uh, yeah. Bummer. Uh... Yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, Chumpzilla, uh, aside from, uh, you know, how you're going to carve up your uh, giant cheese it with D-grade meat on it, <laughs> what do you recommend this week? Fair enough. I will do a lot of weird stuff with that knife, but let's not uh, get hung up on that. But no, I, as I joked earlier, um, I hate to say it, but I think it's on uh, several streaming services for a few dollars. You know what? Jason Patrick's been on a couple of the pods now. I think everybody should go check out his first feature film debut, uh, which is Solar Babies or Solar Warriors, depending on your streaming service. But I think if you search correctly, you can also find a podcast on it. How was this made? You guys familiar with those guys? Uh, Paul uh, yes, that's Paul Shear. And... Yeah, he, he's a big uh, he's a big a uh, uh, Clippers fan, right? Yeah, June Diane Raphael, who's his wife, yeah. and yeah. Uh, the other guy from the league. And, and he's he's also uh, one of the voice actors from uh, that Amazon superhero show, uh, Invincible. Yes, yeah. he's, he's on it. Yeah. But but yeah, but they have an episode on Solar Babies too. Uh, it's I think it's uh, yeah, it's that it's a Speed Two guys first movie. Uh, try to find that. It's it's laughably bad. It involves rollerblading and post-apocalyptic environmental crap. It's funny. Find it. Find the podcast. Find the movie. Check it out. The uh, yeah, Alamo. Don't watch it. Not even once. Okay, so I have a couple of recommendations. Uh, one, I was a guest on a on another movie-centric podcast called I Love That Movie to discuss Predator. And by the time this airs, that episode will be out. So please check that out. Amazing. Uh, I hope to be back on there to talk about Commando, which I also love. Uh, also but it was a great time. I really appreciate her having me. And uh, one day we'll uh, reciprocate the invite. Uh, my second recommendation, this is the movie one, is uh, 
also based in Texas. It is the 2022 horror film X, which is a 24 movie. Uh, so that mm. independent film house, it's a group of young filmmakers attempt to make a pornographic film on the land of an elderly couple. When they are caught, things get messy. I won't say I loved this movie. It was really friggin' weird. So was it well made? Yes. Was it well shot? Whole deal all across the board. But did I love it? I don't know. But I think it's worth seeing. It's definitely worth seeing. And it gave me some serious uh, don't breathe vibes based upon uh, the narrative. And that's all I'll really say. Uh, I, okay. I like don't breathe better. Put it that way. But X, definitely worth seeing. You can rent it now for $3.99 or maybe $4.99 across platforms. And it's definitely worth seeing but and definitely worth discussion. So if you see it and you're like, hey, why didn't you like it? Check me out, you know, hit me up on Twitter or something. But I don't yeah, know. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Uh, so remember, you can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hops and Peel Flops. You can find myself on Twitter at WriterTLK. Captain Cash is C A P T C A S H on most social media. Chumpzilla can be found at Chumpzilla8 on Twitter. And McCheese, who one day will be back with us when he's uh, done uh, stalking the Hamburglar, can be found That's on good. Twitter. He's fixing up them government and laws as well. Yeah. In he, the Ronald McDonald land. Fixing up the crack in the Liberty Bell. And I'm loving in the, you, McCheese. And in the McPlay place. Uh, oh, yeah. He can be, he can be found. will not fill themselves. Yeah. He can be found at HBOF McCheese on Twitter. Check out Wabam Entertainment at wabamentertainment.com or on their socials at W-O-B-A-M-E-N-T on Twitter and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and be sure to like, share, and subscribe and connect with us on social media to share ideas for future episodes. I believe the uh, one of our prior guests just uh, recommended Stealth. So Stealth, which is a movie oh. with Jessica Biel and Jamie Foxx fighting oh. a oh, computer-controlled no. stealth fighter. Oh, oh, oh no. So... Uh, that one oh. uh, that could certainly happen. I mean, we haven't really done a oh. fighter pilot month, but there's definitely mm. movies to do. Can we find dibs on the last starfighter? Well, it, it actually was a flop. Um, yes, last starfighter called it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm a little upset because that would be my call, but I'll give it to you. Well, stealth though, stealth, uh, not not good. That, oh, it's uh, bad. Isn't no. that the one with the evil plane? Yeah. Can we do, yeah. Plane. Can we do Broken Arrow? No, that was a hit. That made money. But we there's plenty of Iron Eagles to choose from. Oh shit! Never say die, yeah. Iron Eagle. Um, yeah. So in the end, listeners, remember one thing: we don't deserve mercy. We deserve a drink. You got anything stronger than water? We'll see you next week for the premiere of Hops and Hunting Ground Flops. Predator 2. I've got a wee bit of the consumption. I think you've got more than a wee bit. <laughs> <laughs>